0: who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Runs that poignant lyric from the American hit musical Hamilton. Who tells your story? Well, storytelling has been at the heart of this podcast for six years and counting, but it hadn't occurred to me until earlier this year to start a new series that features some of your favorite Motley Fool personalities telling their story. Because regardless of who lives, who dies, and the truth is we all do, The unanswered question is Who tells your story? And I thought, well, why not have them do so? Why not have you do so this week, Aaron Bush, Tim Byers? Where'd you come from? If you had to tell your story in just exactly 150 words, about 10 sentences, how would you tell it? And what does the stock graph of your life look like? And what were the three key moments? that made you into the investor you are today. Telling Their Stories, Episode 3 kicks off this week only on Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. We have a very full month for you, June 2021, featuring five Wednesdays. Yep, that happens a couple times a year. This is one of those months with five Wednesdays, therefore five podcasts. I'm not going to preview all of them, but I will let you know my last five-stock sampler, that's kind of the way I'm thinking about it, will pop up in two weeks. My 30th five-stock sampler, I'm looking forward to doing that. Certainly later in the month, the Market Cap Game Show with, in fact, I hope to get Aaron Bush and Emily Flippen together For that one. That'll be a lot of fun as well, mailbag, etc. So, many pleasures, including this week's. I'm really delighted to continue this series meeting with some of my and your favorite Fools across our company, people who are focused on the stock market as advisors, analysts, longtime Fools. And this week, we have Aaron Bush and Tim Byers, which seems particularly apt because Aaron and Tim are succeeding the stock picking that I have been doing for Motley Fool Rule Breakers since October of 2004. Both of my guests this week have been doing that work alongside me for various periods over years and years, and now they are taking senior leadership over. So I thought it was a great time to have Aaron and then Tim tell his and his respective stories. So we drew lots. Well, actually, no, we didn't draw lots because we're each in different states, but I've just arbitrarily decided let's go alphabetically this week. So, let's bring on my friend, Aaron Bush. Aaron, welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me
1: on, David. And where are you calling in from, Slash dialing in from, Slash zooming in from these days? I'm calling in from Texas, the Dallas area. I moved back here recently, um, back in January. So, bit of a a life plot twist, but excited to be here. Yes. And
0: as we'll shortly be hearing in your present Omega is some of your alpha, I suspect. Aaron, any reflections returning back to Texas? Is it different in 2021 than when you left it some years ago?
1: I think what's really hit home for me is just how massive the Dallas Metroplex is. (laughs) I I grew up in the Metroplex, but I'm living in in a different place, which is close enough to to be where I can still get to family, but far enough away to where it feels like I'm in a completely different city, like living a completely different life. So, yeah. And when I drive around, it's just, it just sprawls forever, it feels like. I believe you.
0: I've been to Dallas a few times. I think the very first time was for a book signing that my brother Tom and I did for the Motley Fool Investment Guy. That was the first time I'd ever been to Dallas back in the 1990s. And at the time, we landed in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, and they were saying, welcome to the Metroplex. And I was like, people use that word, Metro." You just did. I don't often hear people rocking it, Aaron.
1: It is a metroplex. It definitely is the way to put it.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, Aaron, I know you've diligently prepared for telling your story. Thank you very much. There doesn't need to be that much diligence other than the first of our three sections is the story of you in exactly 150 words. And presumably, you're not winging this off
1: the top of your head.
0: So let me just say, Aaron Andrew Bush, tell your
1: story. All right. I was born and raised in Texas, surrounded by a caring family, and had a fairly typical early upbringing. At the age of 10, due to some hardships, a chip was put on my shoulder, which propelled by extremely competitive, future-focused, and often contrarian mentality. Perpetually bored at school, I put most of my competitive effort into Taekwondo, investing and hustling for income. This continued through college when I decided to drop in to The Motley Fool full-time, which I've now happily worked for or been a member of for over half my life. Somewhere along the way, I grew a passion for games, donuts, and writing online. Today, I physically live in Texas again, but mentally feel like the internet is my home. I'm also happily engaged, more of a rule breaker than ever, feel grateful and excited for whatever challenges come next. This is still the beginning.
0: Wow, love that Aaron. Thank you very much. And I I knew a few of those things as I would hope so because well you and I have worked together for some years. Maybe around half your life as you mentioned. Uh-huh. That's great. And correct. yet I'm always going to hear things that I that I didn't know. For example, congratulations on your I assume
1: recent engagement because I don't think I knew that. Yeah, thank you. It's more my fiance that's getting used to Texas more so than I am now. (laughs) Wonderful. Did you both meet in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area? We did. Actually, when I moved to the DC area in 2014, I only knew one person who I had previously gone to school with, who was then a student at George Washington University. And my fiance now was a mutual friend of that person. So, uh, yeah, met through her. And it's funny how those things happen, but here we are. Love that. And what were her feelings as she crossed the border into the state
0: of Texas, her future residence?
1: Uh, a little bit of uncertainty. Uh, I think we're happy to have no state income tax, so there there's a plus. Um, mm. But yeah, definitely, she's worried about you know the the summer heat, which is on its way shortly. So, Aaron, I first
0: got to really know you better. I remember doing a call. Was this Zoom before Zoom was cool? We did like a FaceTime or something from your dorm room as i yeah, recall it was right. your it was your freshman year at the university of texas at austin and you mentioned in your 150 words being bored at school and i don't think that just included your brief time in college i think that included some portions of growing up were you always quote bored at school
1: the way that i quote? like to the way i like to put it is that I got senioritis in third grade. <laughs> um, you know, for better or worse, I just, I just wasn't very interested in sitting there all day, and I especially was not interested in doing homework, which often felt repetitive, and I felt like I could be doing something else with my time. Uh, not that I hated every element of school. I mean, I always enjoyed, especially the people in it. But, but yeah, school was not necessarily the place for me.
0: And Aaron, is that because you're marching to the beat of a different drummer than many of the rest of us? Or in your mind, does that say something that needs reform in the school system?
1: It's probably a mix of things. Part of it is definitely innate to who I am. and Just wanting, like once I feel passionate about something of my own, wanting to go Deep down that path versus having to to follow a strict regiment that is presented onto me. But also, I do think there probably is room for reform and how the edu- education system can work. I'm absolutely not an expert at that. And I don't have the best ideas for how that could happen. But mm-hmm. I think they're definitely at a time when it seems like the trend is more towards making school the same experience for everyone. I feel like. Uh my mm-hmm. take is maybe it should more be the opposite. And if we if I could snap my fingers, make school something that is more personalized to the to the individual so that they can get the most out of it for themselves.
0: I love that. I really do. And I think it's hard to deliver probably, especially at scale. Mm-hmm. And yet technology has done things at scale that were almost impossible to do before, say, the internet existed so it gives me hope and thought that you you're on the right path there i'm curious aaron as somebody who was going through the system i know you as a very bright guy i think a lot you got a lot of fans among rule breakers and a lot of people inside and outside the motley fool appreciate your viewpoint did you get good grades were you killing it there not having to study at all
1: or were you bombing your grades or what (laughs) were grades like for you uh I'm, I'm fortunate that I was able to get pretty good grades without trying too hard, and I probably upset a lot of teachers along the way by playing games. For example, I remember my, my senior year of high school, I made a bet with some friends uh, for my English class. The entire class was discussion-based, and I made a bet that I could pull an A for the semester without opening my mouth once in class. <laughs> and I pulled it off. I got I got exactly a 90, but I did the math beforehand to understand how <laughs> grades were calculated. And then I knew how this teacher worked. And so I, I, I played the game. I was a student of the game. I, I wouldn't okay. say I was a great student, but I, I was good at playing the game. That is awesome. Sounds like you
0: could lose no more than 10 points for class participation
1: which was, was crazy. There was like a sliding scale. At the beginning, the teacher was very forgiving, and at the end was not very forgiving. And it, all, it, it rounded out so you could lose 10 points altogether. And hilarious, since you described it as a discussion-based <laughs> class.
0: Well, that would be playing a game outside the game, meta games. Aaron, what games do you enjoy today? You mentioned games in your 150 words. That's a word that matters a lot to me, too. What are some of your favorite games, or why do you game?
1: I I game because my brain gets bored. I feel like a lot of times, you know, a lot of people they'll spend time, you know, watching TV or movies, things like that. Uh, I I personally have a hard time I, I enjoy TV shows, but I have a hard time paying attention. And games are more hands-on. It gets gets my brain involved and honestly, it's just more fun for me and more immersive. And I like all types of games. I wish I played more board games. I know you and Rick are both big board game fans. I just don't have enough people to play play with. Maybe I'll, I'll figure out some way to play more, more online with, with people. Uh, but I play a lot of video games. I play a bunch of different types of video games. I, I, I'm pretty interested in just trying a bunch of different things out and seeing what's going on, what different companies are coming up with, different mm-hmm. styles, um, and yeah, it's just sort of a side hobby for me. Do you play any Grand Theft Auto Five these days? Not these days, but I—I I guess a funny story when when I was very early in my analyst days. This must have been 2014, and this was like right when I met. Um, who is now my fiance, Henju, I I was really interested in Take-Two, the stock, and I had just gotten the PlayStation. um, And so, she probably heard me talk more about Take-Two than she wanted to. And for my birthday, she got me Grand Theft Auto V and like two shares of Take-Two. And it was one of the best birthday gifts ever. And I knew she was a keeper after that. That's great. Well,
0: Aaron, you and I share a lot of things. And one of them is my tendency to disengage in relative terms from watching shows and be much more engaged when I'm playing the game. And a quick example for me might be The Witcher. So, mm-hmm. some some people will recognize The Witcher either as a Netflix show that's gotten fair to midland reviews with Henry Cavill playing The Witcher, or, of course, the incredible video game franchise from CD Projekt Red based on some Eastern European novels. Uh, I never fall asleep. uh, Dozens of hours into The Witcher 3, I might have fallen asleep during one or two of The Witcher episodes themselves. So, that kind of conveys that you and I have a similar vibe where we kind of need to want to feel engaged.
1: Absolutely. I need to be hands-on and brain active. Otherwise, yeah, I just move on to the next thing.
0: All right, Aaron, you also mentioned let's let's move over to the stock graph of your life. Now, you mentioned a moment earlier in your life where you ended up with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. I don't know what that is. We don't need to go strong to the hoop on that, but I'm thinking maybe it shows up in your stock graph. Let's talk through the stock graph of your life. Now, Aaron Bush, your life isn't actually a stock graph, but for these purposes we'll pretend that it is. Maybe it has some highs maybe some lows. Could you trace it out? Let's spend a few minutes just talking through the shape of the curve. Any highs or lows that you would like to speak to? Where do we start? Lower left?
1: Let's do it. Uh, And in some ways, David, I feel kind of funny doing this because in a lot of senses, I feel like I'm just getting started. So it's probably not much of a stock graph yet. And I think that if my my life were being plotted like a company, I, I sort of view it more as a startup that's been hustling for a while and has maybe hit a couple milestones but has yet to really you know IPO or hit the main stage and it just kind of looks like a little staircase um, chart for now but it doesn't go go super far yet
0: Understood, and let me let me just jump in there, Aaron, and point out because I think a lot of people might be wondering how old exactly is Aaron Bush, and I'm going to make up the numbers, and you can tell us for sure, assuming you're comfortable sharing your age, Aaron. But I'm thinking that you and I were talking somewhere in 2013, maybe freshman year of college. You chose then to not drop out. No to drop into the Motley Fool, which I thought was a brilliant choice. It's not right for many people, but for you, somebody who's ambitious and occasionally, as you said, bored with school, it seems like it was a heck of a decision. So I'm thinking some seven years later or so, Aaron, 26? You nailed it. Okay, good. So again, I kind of knew that, but I wanted to make sure everybody listening knew what you meant when you said you're still early on in your stock graph, and that makes a lot of sense to me. What is the first undulation in this curve that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd consider my chart pretty dormant um, until I hit the age of ten or eleven, and that's when let's call it my seed round hits. Um, and to frame it up, due to some unemployment and financial struggles in my family, I got a chip put on my shoulder, as I mentioned. Um, and it is, as I mentioned before, when I started getting super competitive, super future focused mm-hmm. about various things. Um, some would say maybe too young, but in some sense, I almost think maybe too late. Um, and so, in a in a couple senses, you know, money was very top of mind, um, uh-huh. and I decided that similar hardships, I would do everything I can to never have it happen to me, and that I was going to to try to to take things up a level. You know, saying this in my my 10, 11 year old head, um, and then I also just started really. Getting competitive in Taekwondo, which is another just sort of like random avenue of my life that was a big part of my life for a while. And it was a really good outlet for some of my intensity and even frustrations of being locked in, in school at the time. But I sort of think about that 10, 11 age range is when I started more forming into to who I ultimately became. Aaron, I'm curious. First of all, I hope you have the blessing one day of being a
0: father. And if you do, I'm curious whether you would put your daughter or son into Taekwondo. It sounds like you're a fan.
1: I I think it was awesome for me. It definitely improves my mental toughness a lot and my physical toughness a lot. Um, and I do think there are just characteristics like Respect, discipline—certain things that come out of combat sports in general. Um, it's definitely not for everyone. Not everyone wants to get kicked in the face, you know. Um, but for, for me, it—it was—it was a really fun time, and it was—I think it was just as much like a strategy game to me, where like you could think about how. You could think about how to win. And I was playing at a time when the sport was turning electronic, where you had sensors in your like feet and gloves that would hit on like, different pads. And it was sort of a time where almost a rule breaker mentality, you could come into the sport and figure out ways to win that were different from the past. The meta of the game was shifting at a time when I was ramping up. And I, I really leaned into that and uh, had fun and saw some success there. Wonderful. Now, somewhere around that time in your life, um,
0: your mother, who is a Motley Fool member, was cruising through the Washington, D.C. area at some point because I remember having a lovely coffee with her, which we do with members, you know, when people have coffee together, which I trust will happen one day again. And it's just a delightful opportunity to meet somebody who is passionate about the markets and mentioned her son, Aaron. And a few years later, all of a sudden, you were an intern at Fool headquarters. But before we move into that, if you even want to go there, Aaron, I just want to make sure we're talking to you, a Texas family. Your last name is Bush. Are
1: you directly related to W? I <laughs> I think maybe very distantly, but not close enough for it to make any sort of difference in my life.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's proceed forward. What do we encounter next on Aaron Bush's stock graph of his life?
1: Awesome. Well, I would say that my Series A happened in high school. It's, it's when I internalized that I am a horrible dabbler and that anything I do, I honestly can't help but dive really deep and and go big and therefore need to focus. And it's in this time when I became even more obsessed with business and investing. It's when I started to work for The Motley Fool in some capacity, largely thanks to you, David. Um, And I also competed in a high level in my sport, Taekwondo, um, and then started even training some younger kids who went on to do some um, pretty amazing things too. So I kind of viewed that as my Series A when things went up yet another level. Still some of the same things, but um, you know, took it to another extreme. And you mentioned that
0: competitiveness, and I can think of you in many different contexts, there, Aaron. Even though I only know a small part of your life, I think of you on Motley Fool Caps, where in a sense we all compete by picking stocks against each other, if you will, on this free platform, which is around fifteen or sixteen years old at this point, which is about two-thirds of your life. You've been there for quite a long time. And because on that platform, you are scored against everybody else, just like for our SATs here in the U.S., you might be 73rd percentile or whatever. Aaron, you're the 99.9 percentile of performance on Motley Fool Caps. And you've always been highly ranked, which gave me a lot of confidence uh, that we might indeed want to have you at the Motley Fool, both as an intern and then eventually as uh, as an employee, that competitiveness. I will say all three Gardner kids went through Taekwondo and I enjoyed as a dad watching my petite daughter at a young age break a board, which has to be one of those first formative moments for any Taekwondo uh, pra- practitioner. But Aaron, you mentioned um, higher levels of competition. Did you have a, a great moment in Taekwondo? Uh- Did you reach a pinnacle?
1: Uh, to some degree, I I got my second degree black belt and became national champion at sparring for my division. Oh so my it, gosh, I had no idea was, of that. Yeah, but I would say like even even more so though. Later in high school, I kind of stopped competing at that high of a level because it, it it was pretty life consuming. Um, and I spent more time training younger kids, and some of those kids have gone on to do even. Um, crazier things. Someone I trained with went to the last Olympics in Rio. Um, And yeah, some some others have won the Junior Olympics. So in some way, I'm even more proud of them than I am of myself. That is remarkable. And what I particularly
0: find remarkable about that, Aaron, is I didn't know those things about you. So it's not like you walk around bragging or wearing that on your sleeve or anything. That is so impressive. And to have moved from a, a great player to a coach says a lot about you too.
1: I appreciate that it feels like a lifetime ago now I miss it I miss competing in sports um, I don't know if I could handle that again the same way now but it definitely I, I I'm really happy that that was part of my life when it was all
0: right so we've we've gone through some
1: seed funding uh, we've gotten a series a injection of capital where are we headed next I, I think my my next big step Uh, my Maybe we could call it my Series B. Is when I then left college to go work full time at the Motley Fool, which you alluded to, and that was, as you mentioned, when I was 19 years old. So it came with a couple trade offs. You know, some good, some, some, some less good of just having to figure out life. Um, and I've just been hustling since, trying to craft my investment game and prove, prove who I am as an investor. Um, all the way up till till now and i think along that that journey i think i've i've had the pleasure of work, of working in a bunch of our different services at this point um, started with supernova um, all the way through through rule breakers and then crypto society global partners extreme opportunities and now all the way back to rule breakers so it's been um yeah ever since i i made that leap to go to the motley fool i've really enjoyed my time. And it's been um, a, a great experience of watching the company grow and being a part of, with it, too.
0: Well, and it's been great doing that with you, Aaron. And also, that's my experience, too. I'm so pleasantly surprised by all that that we've been able to do as a company and all that I've learned as an investor and as a, as a fellow Fool as well. And I know a lot of people listening to us have observed us, in some cases, even longer than you have, because we have listeners who were with us back there in the AOL days, pre-web, and many others in between. So, Aaron, thank you for sharing that part. We're going to move very shortly onto the three key moments to becoming the investor that you are. That's going to be a big focus, I know, of course. But I'm curious just about that decision, which has always impressed me. It feels courageous, I don't know, to decide to step away from college after the first year and come to work for us. Again, really impressed me. Did you find your family supportive? What were your friends saying to you at the time? Did you feel like you were breaking the rules?
1: I yeah, I did feel like I was breaking the rules. I I'm fortunate that everyone was supportive, <laughs> but also everyone was concerned. Um and I think they saw it as more of a risk than it actually was because in my mind, um you know, Everyone, everyone, kind of framed it as dropping out, and I've I've tried to tweak the language since then to dropping in. It's like, is that it's less that I dropped out of school and more that I dropped into another situation where I'm taking a bet on myself, but I'm also taking a bet on the people around me that we can do something great together. And um, worst case scenario, I just go back to, to where I was. Um, mm. So so the downside is actually not much of a downside at all, but the upside. Um, is potentially substantial. So to me, it felt asymmetric. When to others, it felt maybe like the wrong thing to do, just because it's not what people do. You know, that's true. Although I suspect it happens more these days than it did 20 years ago or 50 years
0: ago, and it might be completely different 20 years from now.
1: I hope so. I yeah. I mean, I don't think what I did, you know, shocked the world. I, I think it just surprised some people, and I I do hope that. Um, Yeah, as time moves forward, that companies move on from having very much like a credentialist mindset to much more of a just betting more holistically on a person and what they stand for and what you think they're capable of doing. And I'm really glad that that is the way that The Motley Fool operates, and I hope other companies follow suit as well. Thank you for that, Aaron. Let's
0: move now to the three key moments to becoming the investor that you are. I certainly know you as a disruptive, in a good way, thinker, a fellow breaker of rules. I believe whatever that chip was on your shoulder that made you competitive, it had you looking at things from a different angle. And you've kind of lived a life that's emblematic of that. So I'm really curious to hear what these three key moments are. The most important building blocks, let's call them, to the investor that you are today. Aaron, what is number one?
1: Yeah, some of this will be a little bit repetitive, but I'll add a bit more context to it. Um, So I do think the first step is more that chip on the shoulder era. But to break it down a little bit more, I think there are three quick things I can mention that sort of frame me up then. Um, One, my grandfather gave me his old financial calculator that was sitting in some attic somewhere. And I (laughs) I figured out how to do compound interest equations with it, and I ended up making mm-hmm. like tons of spreadsheets of like all the combinations of like if you put this much money at this rate over this amount of time, like this is what ends up. And I I still probably have that notebook somewhere of several pages of all the combinations of wow. me looking at that, and that's what part of what made me really excited to lean into investing. Um, and then when I was excited to lean into investing, I read. A couple books, which I was fortunate that my my mom was learning some of this at the same time, and she got me the Motley Fool Investing Guide for Teens uh, at the time, which which shaped me. Uh, I hope it I hope it shaped some other people as much as it shaped me. But the work on that book definitely improved my life and gave me some good context on how to think about investing. And then my grandfather set up a portfolio competition. For the family at that time, as as me and my mom were getting interested in in, investing, and it was all model portfolios. But I read through; um, I think he had like a few issues of Value Line. I read probably through like five issues straight, every word, to try to figure out what ten stocks I was going to pick. And I all that mattered was I ended up picking Apple and Starbucks, and I won. (laughs) I won the competition, so that that shaped me. Isn't that spectacular?
0: And uh, here again, I can relate to a lot of the story. We were kind of, Tom and I were kind of raised on Value Line, which back then, pre web, certainly was a great repository. It was like a print database of all the numbers that you would have otherwise had to send off and get financial reports of companies. And there would be no way to really organize that into a helpful whole. So Value Line, certainly for us, was formative. And that gaming aspect and a grandfather sharing his interest and you picking a portfolio against your mom or your family—that's just that's wonderful and a reminder, I think, to a lot of us listening right now the importance of setting up just a few constructs, especially if they're fun for kids, and and what a change that can make. Before we move on to the second key moment, making you the investor that you are, definitely got to give a shout out to Selena Morangian, who wrote the bulk of The Motley Fool Investing Guide for Teens. Tom and I have our names on the cover, along with Selena. She did so much of the work for that book. And I am delighted to think that the stories that she pulled often from our discussion boards, and Aaron, you might have, for all I know, had, had told one of those stories that wound up in the book, although maybe you were a little young for that. Yeah, book, not but quite. That, was, that was the whole spirit of her book, was telling stories by teens, for teens, based on that, admittedly, that minority of teens who actually care about the stock market or would pick up Gramps' financial calculator. So uh, shout out to Selena. Aaron, what's number two for you?
1: Number two is when you asked me to join your Stock Advisor Best Buy Now team. I was probably 15 at the time. I absolutely did not deserve <laughs> to be on the team. If I sure you it. did. I love it. Um, and and you know, bigger opportunities would come come later, such as um, you inviting me to join Supernova when that launched. But that moment when you invited me onto the stock advisor Best Buy now team is when I, you know, internally decided that if someone is making a bet on me, that will affect other people. Then I need to be become good enough to to where I know I could win, and that and then in my mind, that is when losing was no longer an option. And so I worked really hard. (laughs) That's that's kind of what pushed my my hours up. And I know it was just, you know, you know, a couple votes a month and weighing some points among a really large team, but I yeah, I remember spending like my entire summer like glued to my computer and like discussion boards. And yeah, it really is that moment that helped push me to to become to try to become professional. In some way, but it was also the time when it pushed me to the discussion boards where I just wrote a lot more and it helped me become a better writer. And I think as a result of writing more, also a better thinker. So, yeah, that was a pretty huge catalyst. And I'm eternally grateful for you giving me that opportunity. I think, um, and I think I've, I've said this a couple of places before, but I think you took a bet on me that many others wouldn't have even have thought to take. Um, and in my mind, that. In some sense, it was a rule breaker bet on me that I appreciate. I don't know if that's how you think about it at all, David, but um, however you think about it or thought about it at the time, I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. Well, that's very kind of you, Aaron. I'd, I would say that I wasn't thinking
0: of it as kind of a hand up or anything like that. I just saw somebody who's good and interested. And whether you're 15 or my age, 55 today, doesn't really matter to me so much as the quality of someone's thinking and their effort. Aaron, I'm looking right now at your Caps.Fool.com player page. You're a TMF paladin. Anybody who wants to Google TMF paladin, all one word, and then Caps, will probably find your picks. And I'm seeing the first picks you ever put into Caps. You may not remember this, but the date was August 9th of 2007. So how old were you on August 9th of 2007? I want to say I was 12. How about that? And you picked Apple, which went on to go up four times in value for you. You picked Netflix, although you had a quick yank on it. Four months later, it went up 44%, market down 5%. You were content at that moment to junk your Netflix off of caps. But what I see mainly here is a kid, 12 years old, who typed in about 15 stock picks, Nvidia among them, some monster winners, and you were 12. So yeah, at the age of fifteen, I was happy to say, Aaron, join my team—a a larger, diverse team of people who help vote for the Best Buys now for Motley Fool Stock Advisor. So that's that was my thinking. All right, and now let's move on to number three—the third key moment, Aaron, making you the investor that you are today.
1: I think it goes back to college, and I talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, school. Bored me some. And so in college, I spent a lot of time in more entrepreneurial circles in Austin, Texas, watching some some of the best and brightest people in Austin start companies, mentor students, and figure out for themselves how to survive and scale. And I'd I'd always hustled to make money in in small ways. Um, you know, I sold candy in seventh grade. I had a loan book for paying people's library fines. Um, I <laughs> rented <laughs> school equipment when teachers demanded people use pens, and everyone had pencils. I would, you know, rent it out for a dollar in class. Um, you know, just just dumb things like that. Um, but you know, this moment in time is what gave me a peek behind the scenes to really understand what makes like real businesses click and what makes great leaders. And it made me realize that yes, companies are more than what shows up in filings and earnings reports, which is all that I had really seen until then. They're also people, um, people doing all of these things. And I also realized that I'm not necessarily different from all of these people who are making these like interesting life decisions and creating lots of value doing mm. new things. And I I knew that I had always charted my own path to some extent, but it gave me even more confidence to stop playing the game that I felt, you know, society had set up for me to play, and and chart my own path as I saw fit, even more. And I I haven't personally scaled my own business at least yet, but this same mindset is what gave me perspective and made me comfortable with leaving school to work at the Motley Fool. Um, I I knew at that time that I still had a lot of uh, a lot of room to better hone my investing instincts, and I think. You know, as long as I live, that'll be true for me and everyone who's an investor. Um, especially as the world changes, like you always need to catch up. But I, I, I was comfortable, as I mentioned, both betting on myself and then not just betting on Motley Fool as a company on paper, but more specifically the people, the vision, and the hustle behind that company that that makes that all possible. So that was a pretty. Um, It changed my view on business, and as a result, changed my view on investing a little bit, too.
0: Aaron, I I think of you, again, as a disruptive in a good way thinker, a breaker of the rules. You come at things from different angles. You often reverse conventional wisdom, which is what we fools try to do. Some of us, it comes naturally. Some, it's a more practiced thing that we learn over time. I'm curious if you were giving a talk to kids today about how to think freely. Or, how not to be playing somebody else's game, but start playing your own game. Is there a trait you would underline or some bit of advice you would give, not just to kids, but to anybody, to help us think a little bit more openly and sometimes creatively about our lives?
1: I think that whenever you notice yourself, or if you're a parent and you notice in your kid, any ounce of obsessiveness or interest in something, it's probably wise to lean in and support it as much as you can. Um, You don't want to over-push it, necessarily. um, But if you see the seed of something, you never know what it's going to grow into. And if you take a shot on that seed and support it, you might be surprised with what you end up with, and it might surpass your expectations. And um, end. So that's all I would really say. I I think in general, you know, to kids too, I would say, um, don't necessarily listen to all the advice that's given to you. Like think for yourself. Um, so maybe that's even counter to what I just said. But I think <laughs> I, I think that that there is some truth to um, leaning in when you think. You're interested in something, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be investing. It could be marine biology. It could be all across the spectrum. You betcha. Um, and and that's what makes society function and be an amazing place to be. But yeah, I think leaning in as early as you can, um, giving yourself gives 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 yourself a little bit of an edge, um, which can really compound over time and turn into something amazing for yourself, but also the world at large.
0: Well said. And before I let you go, I suppose I should say, Aaron, you do have a lot of Motley Fool Rule Breaker members listening to us right now. Is there anything you'd like to say to our fellow Breakers?
1: First of all, David, I'm extremely honored and grateful to be given the opportunity to to follow in your footsteps with Rule Breakers, and I'm extremely excited to be doing it with Tim as well. Um, I've learned a ton from both of you over the years, um, and I'm excited to to carry on that torch and that legacy um, in the years to come. Um, in a lot of ways, I don't think much is going to change. I mean, I very much believe in the framework, uh, the investing framework and the investing mentality that you've laid out with Rule Breakers. It's something I've practiced myself for several years. I was on the Rule Breakers team not too long ago and have you know, been thinking about that framework in more of a portfolio context and other services as well. But of course, you know we're all different people. We're all different. Per- we all have different perspectives and different experiences. That um, you know, it could lead to some different kinds of investments, uh, just naturally. For example, the Motley Pool. We can now recommend cryptocurrencies. Which I'm not saying we're going to go crazy and rule breakers with <laughs> cryptocurrencies, <laughs> but there might be an example or two of of where um, you know Tim and I take the service in a couple new directions, all while you know keeping the spirit and the mentality of what you've what you've laid out and succeeded with tremendously over the past several years. So I'm extremely excited and as I mentioned, still very grateful as well.
0: Thank you so much, Aaron. Good to be with you. That was really well said. And yes, you know that I would want you and Tim's about to join me for this week's podcast. I want you guys to do whatever makes the most sense to you and to our members and take the service no doubt to new heights. So thank you very much, Aaron Bush. Full on, sir. Thank you, David. Full on. All right. Well, from one rule breaker, we go to another. Thank you again to Aaron Bush for joining with us, telling his story this week. And now I've got my friend Tim Byers to join in. And Tim, as many of you will know, is a longtime analyst at the Motley Fool, certainly on the Motley Fool Rule Breakers team for just about the entirety of the service. We're going to say at least 16 and a half years as a fellow rule breaker, Tim, and also of course working across a number of other services uh, where you're an advisor looking at uh, stocks often in the technology realm Tim Byers it's great to have you with us. It's great to be here David. Thanks a lot for having me on. Thank you. And I think that you have you've humored me. You've played the game Tim. You have taken the time to write down the story of your life. Thank oh, you. Oh, I did. Yep. In 100 in exactly 150 words. So I say without further ado, Timothy Richard Byers, tell your story.
1: Uh,
2: born on August 16th. 1969 in Glen Cove, New York, I spent the first nine years of my life between Queens and a little town called North Babylon, New York before we moved to Simi Valley, California in 1978. Uh, Unfortunately, I hated Southern California almost (laughs) upon arrival and swore I'd go back, which I did, earning a graduate scholarship to Syracuse University in 1991. Finishing with a master's degree in public relations in 1993. Uh, since irony never disappoints, I decided two East Coast winters was enough and moved to Southern California and <laughs> met my wife two years later. We married in 97, moved to Colorado in 98. Uh, we have three older kids today. Uh, both personally and professionally, I've made an extraordinary number of mistakes. Both uh small and catastrophic, and my eclectic and varied career are a byproduct of that, although nothing's been more fulfilling than joining the fool. And this is not in the 150 words, but this is true. I counted this for precisely. Seventeen years, five months, and seventeen days ago. Wow.
0: Love that. Thank you, Tim, and thank you for taking the time really succinctly to capture most of a life. Now, you and I are somewhere around twice the age of Aaron Bush. We're oh, not yes. going to have twice the time. We're going to stay. But that means you've had to be really selective looking back over the life. And I naturally have a couple of follow-ups. What sure. was it about Simi Valley? I mean, that's kind of a lovely place for some people. I've heard some good things. About... What What was so odd or off kilter for you? A New York kid, I understand. But what was it about California?
2: Um so this is something that my my coworkers still have some good fun at my expense and I by the way I fully em- embrace this I'm very much a pizza snob and when this where this comes from David <laughs> is like so we landed in California I remember this I was 9 years old and we got to a, like a hotel we were going to stay at overnight and um I saw on the way there, it was coming in this, uh, what was it called? It was this place called the Pizza Pub. And this was like in the San Fernando Valley. And I was like, oh, great. It's it's pizza, like a little slice of home. And we went to this place and it was like a saltine cracker crust. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it's not pizza. And I, where are we? get me out of here immediately like that was my nine-year-old reaction and then there were just other things like Mm. i showed up as a new york kid and my dad was like this huge sports fan so i i just sort of adopted that to be close to him today i'm much more of a very casual fan Mm -hmm. But back then I was just like, I was aping my dad being very rabid. So of course I was this rabid Yankees fan showing up in 1978 when they're playing the Dodgers for the world series. Like how could your timing be any worse if you're trying to make friends in school? So yeah, it was, uh, it was a weird time. Um, and for the first several years, I just, I just, just being uprooted, at that age and going to what essentially was an alien landscape felt very strange.
0: I hear you Tim. I mean Simi Valley uh, I think a, a northwest suburb of the city of Los Angeles, southern California, it's very yep. different admittedly. So you head back to Syracuse and you're and you get a graduate scholarship, nice trick if you can pull it well done. What was it about public relations or communications that that became your calling? That made it your calling?
2: Well, it, it, it really wasn't. It was my dad convinced me to do it because, so like I said, I was a rabid sports fan and that, that's how I would connect with, with my dad when I, was, when I was younger. So I had, um, at age 11, I decided I wanted to be a writer uh, and I started working for the newspaper at the same time. I was, a, I, w- I was just a newspaper carrier and I would walk my route up and down the, the, the hill and so I kind of got I, I kind of got into that. I got into statistics. I think we've talked about this before. Like I t- I got all of the sports board games which sort of kind of fits my brain. Like I'm I'm a casual sports fan, but I will I will die on the vine of Stratomatic Baseball being like the greatest board game ever. (laughs) I'll die on that hill um, because I love that. I do love numbers. I love statistics. And it sort of blended those things for me. And um, so that kind of became... A thing that my dad wanted me to pursue, like, hey, you're doing this. Huh. Like, you know, why don't you go for it? And when I got into college, my undergraduate is this tiny school in the neighboring town called Thousand Oaks, California Lutheran University. And I had like a work study program. And I worked in the sports information department, which was basically like sports PR, right? Like media guides and things like that. And it helped pay for school. And so when I got to Syracuse, I did not get an academic scholarship to Syracuse. What I got was me calling Syracuse every week for a year because they were one of the full they were one of the few schools in the country at that time that had a program where they paid their graduate assistants in the sports information department. And there were two slots and one opened every year. Wow. I was like, I'm not going to get this on my grades because I was a lazy student. And I'm not going to get it on my test scores because I was a lazy student. So I have to get this by being the person who wants it more than anybody else. Mm. So I called every week for a year (laughs) and I got the scholarship.
0: Wow. That is a great story, Tim. And as a fellow Dice baseball fan, Stratomatic took up a Big bunch of my youth, many hours, oh, sure. no regrets, and 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 many other dice um, sports games. Besides, we don't have time for that. I wish we could go there. Maybe some future conversation, but Tim, I feel as if we're almost getting into your stock graph a little bit now. So let's start moving that direction because we're talking about the arc of your life, and so you've taken a little bit of time on a piece of paper to kind of trace out the stock graph of your life. What's the first bump up or down that you'd like to share?
2: Well, I think the first bump, honestly, was moving from New York to California. Sounds like it. Yeah. I mean that that was that was a weird, traumatic. I, I and I didn't realize how formative that was at the time, and how much I took it personally. Like, can you imagine that being like, you know, a, a preteen and like, and you're like shaking your finger at mom and dad, like. I'm going back. No, nope, wow. this is not for me. I'm going back. And I I did that. And um yeah, so that was really formative. I I would say and I, I tried to I tried to make that part of my my identity, but probably in a more unhealthy way than I should have.
0: Fair enough. Well, and and I can also relate to making many mistakes. I think most of us can, especially Tim, you and I as stock pickers for rule breakers and other places around The Fool, we get it wrong a lot. And it's really important that we be allowed to get it wrong a lot because That's what gets it so right. For example, you bringing Salesforce to Rule Breakers members uh, more than a decade ago, pretty good stock. But you know what? We've had some losers to win that way. Of course, I've done other podcasts on that. We'll just push that aside and keep moving. Let's go along your graph. What do we encounter next along this curve?
2: Well, I'd say, you know, when I, I listened to Jason Moser's interview and he sort of started out, as he said, like a penny stock, I would say, I my the graph of my life as we're going to describe it is a growth stock that got way far ahead of itself and has really crashed and and maybe I'm going to say undervalued today. I'm going to say undervalued mm-hmm. today, but I had a stratospheric rise and I think the next big thing is as I sort of adopted what my dad sort of advised me to do for like career goodness, mm-hmm. um, getting into college um I, I had this moment where, like I said, I was a lazy student. And this was kind of formative for me. Um, this is would have been my senior year of high school. And um, I took a test to go to this, this school that I was going to go to because I knew I could get into that uh, college. And I scored immensely well on this test, so much so that I would have gotten – a scholarship, and I, my family had did not have any money to, to begin with, okay. and so this would have been really Amazing. formative. It would have been really formative if I had done this. It turned out that my grades, um, I had done just enough to get like a B average, and so they came back and said, yeah, this would have been like a $10,000 a year scholarship. And um I got disqualified for it because my grade point average was three tenths of one percent short of the minimum requirement. Oh my golly. So I got I got disqualified for it. And um, that became sort of like, okay, this is not gonna be how it goes <laughs> for me. I'm not gonna so be able to major motivator. Yeah. Not gonna major be able motivator. to coast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And how old were you when that happened? That High was
2: senior. I, I was a high school senior and I had done it, it was it was strange. I had gotten you know so far behind and then finally my senior year I I don't even remember what my GPA was, but it was like near the top of the class. I finally started actually turning on the gas a little bit and uh, I mean it turned out it was like should have done that back when I was a freshman.
0: So, Tim you described a stratospheric rise earlier maybe a stock that got ahead of itself at some point which by the way many rule breaker stocks do almost inevitably uh, where are we headed next so I would say the next thing is
2: when I when I finished up grad school and came back to California and decided like you know two winters in a row where uh, I think the first year we had 190 inches of snow in Syracuse and the second Second year was 160 inches, and I decided that was you know 200 inches too many. Uh, and yeah. so I I went back to to California and I started working for this PR firm, and I think I've told this story many times. It was a tech PR firm, mm-hmm. and um, I had to learn how to kind of speak the language of tech. So I just started absorbing everything I could. It was like learning a foreign language and reading Mm. all of the journals of the time. And I got good enough at speaking the language that over the course of several years, this is going to be a few years, but at the time um, that I was working in this career, probably, I'm going to say within the space of five years, I became the youngest vice president uh, in the history of the firm that I was working for at the time that I encountered The Motley Fool. Mm. So I was I was 29. I was way too young for that, <laughs> David. I but was...
0: but for, forget about age, because having just talked with Aaron, and he started with The Fool when he was 12, I don't focus so much on age, but I, I certainly appreciate the point and, and maybe the, the humility implicit in it, Tim. But it seems to me that you had gotten to where you were because you really we're willing to get your feet wet and your hands dirty and learn. And and that strikes me as one of your defining traits and a real strength of yours. And so it almost doesn't matter what country you were in or what industry you might've been in. If you have that attitude, I feel like you could make that kind of a rise and legitimately so. It, it feels as if you might feel like you had imposter syndrome there at some point. I'm not even sure whether you felt justified in that, but I'm Darn glad that you found the Motley Fool right around that time. And maybe that takes us to the next stop along the graph. It it
2: it does because um and and I'm gonna save the other piece of this for the three seminal moments. Yeah. But the but the first piece of this is when I was at that agency, I don't know if you're gonna remember this um uh <laughs> remind uh, me story story, David, but you had you and Tom had a profile. In fast company, and I'm going to say it was either 1997 or or 1998. It may have been 2000. But when I when I first encountered um, the Motley Fool Investment Guide, I, I had seen it in a bookstore. I picked it up. I devoured it. and Then I saw this story in Fast Company, and what was interesting about this, and I I, I love this. I have never ever forgotten it. But in the story, the headline was "Fools No More," and it's you and and uh, you and Tom, uh, both in in your bell caps. But the cut line had you transposed. <laughs> it was Tom was David Gardner, and 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 you were Tom Gardner. It's
0: happened before. It'll probably happen again.
2: <laughs> so I wrote a like in order to apply to the Motley Fool back in two thousand. Before the dot com crash, I wrote a message, an an email to Tom. And this is, I swear, this is true. I don't think Tom remembers it, but the headline of this email was You Grew Hair. (laughs) (laughs) Because I knew the humor of the motley fool and I've been been listening to it. I know you made him laugh. You certainly got his attention. I did and then I started talking to a recruiter but that just ended up being the the wrong timing what turned out is I actually that later that year the firm that I was working for was acquired by another firm called Fleischman Hillard which happened to be the PR firm for the Motley Fool at the time that's right and I met a a um, a woman who became my friend Who um, no longer works for The Fool? She was named Jamie Patton at the time and is now named Jamie Cross because Mm -hmm. she's married to our chief investment officer. And um, I answered the bell to like do interviews on behalf of, hey, is anybody here like reading The Motley Fool? And I was like, sign me up. What do you want me to say? (laughs) And I just started talking with Jamie, and that That led to a a relationship that became my first tryout for The Motley Fool a few years later.
0: Thank you very much for that memory. I'm not even sure I fully knew that story, but Jamie Patton, a longtime wonderful fellow Fool employee, um, left The Fool, but in part never will because, as you mentioned, uh, part of the greater Fool family and a wonderful uh, woman and i'm I'm delighted to know that connection and so so we all come to things in life through different means, sometimes through connections, sometimes through happenstance, sometimes by grading out in some way, shape, or form, and Tim, in different ways, all of those seem true of your story and before we get to the three key moments that make you the investor that you are today. I'm curious whether you'd like briefly to share any of your adventure from starting as a contractor to becoming now a full employee at The Fool. When did that happen?
2: So um, it's funny that you mentioned that, David, because as we're recording this on June 1st, so my full time, I, I celebrate my anniversary on the day that my first story was published, which is December 17th, 2003. Mm. Um but my actual full-time Fooliversary is June 1st, 2018. Wow. So this is my three years of being a, a full-time employee. So that that journey, so this is I, I guess I'd call this point number four along mm-hmm. the stop graph, which is so. I knew that you know I I was not ready, which is why I withdrew my application in 2000. And it turned out to be fortunate timing because shortly thereafter the dot com crash hit. And I remember. I mean, I mean, of course you do. I mean, <laughs> the the story of what happened to the fool during that period, um, and what happened. I mean, it's it's funny. You know, the agency that I was working for at the time was was bought, and it was slowly dismantled to the hmm. point where um, I we used to do this thing at The Motley Fool before I was a contractor. It was this email newsletter every day called Fool Watch. Yep. And that would be my essential reading. Every single day, I could not wait for that email to come into hmm. my inbox. And I would read it every day. I was reading Bill Mann, Jeff Fisher, Tom Jacobs. Um, Todd Etter used to write for uh, you know the... Um, Uh, the Full Watch newsletter from time to time. I mean, your stuff was in there. There were updates on the old Rule Breaker portfolio before there was Motley Fool Rule Breakers. And so in one of those newsletters, back in 2003, there was a call for freelance writers. And I had a few months before, I had sort of convinced Jamie that, hey, I was going to be out in Alexandria, Virginia. That was not true. I was actually going on a trip with my neighbor to Gettysburg to visit um, the battlefield because I'd wow. never done that before. And mm-hmm. he was a big Civil War buff. But I was like, hey, you know what? It's just a train ride. If, if it could work, I would love to go down there and see it. So she set me up. And that's the first time that you and I met. I okay. went to the headquarters on Pitt Street, and you were very generous. Tom was very generous. And I got to meet the former managing editor, a man by the name of Bob Bobala. Wow. And so a few months later, the call opens. I told Jamie, I said, I'm going to go for this. Can you help me? Can you talk to Bob? And she said, sure. And I spent, I, I'm going to say the better part of a month writing up my application. And I put together this pitch for Akamai. And um, I submitted it and I got an email from Bob. And he said, okay, I'd like to buy this. And I was jubilant. And he said, and in the next sentence, it was like, what else have you got for me? Ah. And that became the beginning of my contracting journey. So fast forward, almost 15 years, I had a conversation. Fools may not know people who are listening to this. We have an office in Colorado. And I think folks started moving out here in 2015 or 2016. Um, I didn't know about that. I found out about it by happenstance. Uh, but my contract had changed at one point. Um, me and Rick and Carl got incentivized to be doing a lot more research, not just for rule breakers, mm-hmm. but for all of the fool services. So I was just, I was pummeling everybody with ideas. And our director of research at the time, Alex Shearer, said, you know, I just assume have you as a full-time employee. (laughs) And I said, is that
0: possible?
2: Like, Well, we're in Colorado, and that's how it came to be.
0: And a lot of people have gotten to know you even better through COVID with Motley Fool Live, where you've regularly been hosting. Of course, many will know you as a Rule Breakers analyst, and Akamai was indeed, thanks to you, an early Rule Breaker and a, a fine performer for our service. Tim Byers, what is the first key moment making you the investor that you are today?
2: In uh, my junior year of high school, I was in what's called the stock market club, and there's About a it. lot. I mean, I I just tried it because I had a you know one of my my very best friends when I was a kid, uh, his dad was an investor. I had no connection to that in my own family, so we did this, and we placed third in the state of California. I remember wow. that distinctly from our our teacher. Now wow. that big state <laughs> that's a partly a big function of us choosing to go with the smallest penny stocks and getting lucky. But I have never lost the drive to crush the market. I get a real kick out of that and that is that really is my my drive. I want to serve our members but I mean, I I really do, David. I want to beat the the tar out of the market on a regular basis.
0: I love that. such a great first key moment. And I have an analog in my own life that I won't share right now, but I can relate. So can any kid who's ever won a contest involving stocks. If they were a kid, it probably is something you remember as an adult. Yep. Tim, what is key investor moment number two, the making of? So in 99,
2: you and Tom put out a book called Rulemakers, Rule Breakers, or Rule Breakers, Rulemakers, I believe it is. You bet. And, you. and um, Tom uh, showed up with a few fools to um, our favorite independent bookstore here in Colorado called The Tattered Cover. So I went out to see him and uh, I got I, signing. It's the first time I'd, I'd met Tom. And I I said, hey, You've got to. You need to start doing remote work, like you've got to make it happen out here. I want to work for you, and that was my first pitch to work for for the Motley Fool. Um, But then when I had that had that visit, and some fools, you used to have. We used to have this really great fool named Raven, who was the front desk. uh, You know, and he was on that trip. And so when I went out the, to the trip I was I, I was telling you about, he was so kind and he had the jester at the front of the Pitt Street office. I'm like, you had me at the jester. I have to work for this company. Wow.
0: That is great, Tim. And I have to say, remembering my first trip to the Tattered Cover, which I think was The Motley Fool Investment Guy back in 1996, maybe. But what a wonderful independent bookstore, kind of a life Amazing. of the party kind of a place. Yep. Uh, I, I haven't been back since, so I don't, I, I'm sure it's still going because it's got to be one of those independents that's going to be around. But really a community mainstay and like one of the best bookstores. And I love that story. And yeah that that definitely has helped make you the investor that you are because it connected you to us, Tim, what is the third and concluding key moment that has made you the investor that you are?
2: Well, I mean April twentieth two thousand five I think is the day that that changed my life because that's when you accepted Akamai into the rule breakers uh newsletter service. but before that, I had the really good fortune of you may not remember this, but you would the reason I think we got connected is because we were connected the year prior. Um, we used to do this stocks annual, and it was stocks, you know, name the year, and we would all do a year end pick. And your year end pick in 2004 was Palm One. And I got chosen to interview you and write it. And I think you liked that I inserted the Maxwell Smart Shoe Phone. Analogy, and we got a laugh over that. And six months later, um, there was an open call. I remember Rex Moore, who mm. probably know because he's in some of our our sure. great ads. Um, great guy, former financial editor of mine, and he um, he he uh, um, opened up a call to the newsletters, and so I pitched Akamai. and I remember you accepted it. And then I wasn't sure what was going to happen after that. And you did the Bob, Bob Bala thing, you know, David. You said, Lot "All of- right, what else you got for me?" And that's how it started, and <laughs> okay. it's never stopped.
0: That, that's just a great story, Tim. I really appreciate, especially about your key moments. They're more human moments. I mean, the the meeting the the person, or or, or getting an opportunity, or really, I think a defining aspect of you making opportunities for yourself through your passion and your persistence. And boy, if that hasn't paid off in spades for you and for all of us as your fellow fools. So, Tim Byers, I really appreciate all three of those moments and the commonality that runs through them. Let me conclude with you in the same way I concluded with Aaron and then say goodbye to our listeners for this week. And this has been a delight. Tim, any thoughts about Rule Breakers, the service, which you are now transitioning along with Aaron to lead for our members listening?
2: you're going to see a lot of things that are going to be familiar because, you know, I've been on rule breakers for 16 years and I love it. And I I don't, there's probably some things that will change, but it's going to change very slowly. And I expect very slightly. I think the thing that um, is most important to me about rule breakers is, well, the most important thing is the friendships over those 16 years. I mean, working with you and Carl and Rick, I I can't even describe how meaningful those years have been for me and formative. They've just been amazing. But I also say, like, the principle, if you do nothing else as an investor, if you learn the principle of being willing to look at the world differently, I bet you'll have success as an investor, And if you don't, then I bet it'll be harder to have success as an investor. That's what Rule Breakers is about. It's about taking a look at the world a little bit differently, being willing to do that, being willing to be wildly wrong, and just keep going. I I think that will not change. And I I love that about Motley Fool Rule Breakers.
0: Mm. Well, I hear you, Tim. And I think back. On all those years, 16 of them, yep, but of course, we're mainly focused where we've always been, both for our members and on the stock market, and that's the future. And I am excited about the future that you are going to bring Motley Fool Rule Breaker members along with our team and for the many interesting investments that that we will all find together. So, Tim, this has been a delight from your stratomatic days as, let's say, a New York (laughs) kid out of place in California to somebody who basically saw what he was interested in and pursued it at consistent points in different ways throughout his adult life. And look how that's brought you to us. So, Tim Byers, thank you very much for telling your story this week on Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, Aaron Bush and Tim Byers, we've suffered two wonderful Fools gladly this week, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I think I want to reiterate one thing at close, and that is, if you're an investor, and the truth is that we are all investors, whether we know ourselves by that name or not, we're all investing our time and our money in things throughout the day, every week, every day. So I should say that if you switched on to that and you recognize that you're an investor, whether you're a 12-year-old kid on your grandfather's financial calculator, or maybe you're a dice baseball player, somebody who appreciates numbers and competition and wants to win, wants to, in this case, beat the market, you will realize that your story will inevitably be shaped by the investing that you do the stock stories, our stories become intertwined. Uh, They weave their way through our lives. And here's one more key insight. Boy, if it isn't also true that the more investing you do and the more you take care with it, the better that you do, that story of your creation has a better and better chance of being a story with more and more possibilities and one, I hope, with a very happy ending. Speaking of endings, do you remember that ending from Hamilton the Musical? When you're gone, who remembers your name? Who keeps your flame? Who tells your story? Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at RBI.Fool.com.